Friday now, people. It's time again for Make It Big. I'm Paul Stinson. This is my podcast it's called Make It Big. It's kind of about success in the arts, the meaning of success, uh, what we do as artists, whatever you're doing, you're dancing, you're, uh, you're playing music, you're, you're painting. And this episode we got coming up right now is a fun one, and it kind of exemplifies exactly what I wanted this podcast to be about. My buddy Ryan Brown, professional drummer. You may know him from his current role as the drummer for Zappa Plays Zappa, Dweezil Zappa's band doing um, Dweezil's own stuff, and all the stuff of his dad, Frank Zappa. There's a big kind of controversy about that right now, um, which I don't talk to Ryan about because it's a little touchy, but if you want to hear about it, Mark Marin on WTF had a great talk with Dweezil Zappa about sort of the fighting that's going on in the Zappa family, about who gets to use Frank Zappa's name. Uh, anyway, it, it's interesting stuff, but I don't talk to Ryan about that. I talk to Ryan about playing drums. He is a monster drummer. I had the pleasure of playing with him quite a few times back in the Radishes days, and we realized we hadn't really seen each other for maybe like eight years or something, uh, something crazy like that. And... I was supposed to go see him, so last time, if you listen to the episode with Chris Mazowak, I was complaining about doing a Skype interview and how, you know, the sound quality and how I wasn't going to do that again. Well, I broke my foot. Uh, it is not a interesting story. It involves tripping in my own apartment. Uh, it's New York, small apartment. We're moving. There's stuff. Anyway, not a fun story. At any rate, I was supposed to go out to Port Chester, where Zappa plays Zappa, was going to do a show, I was going to go see Ryan, we are going to do an interview, and then I broke my foot, so that didn't happen, and then I ended up having a show anyway that night in Astoria, but uh, yeah. To make a long story short, we did this by FaceTime, and so again, the audio quality is not um, my favorite quality, but uh, I, think it, I think it turned out pretty well, we tried to sweeten it up a little bit. But anyway, Ryan's an amazing guy, uh, really a guy who just had a dream um, had a talent and just pursued it, had some support and got some good words of wisdom. And uh, it's an inspiring story, and he's doing great, uh, just a super nice guy. So go to Ryan Brown Drums. Uh, in fact, if you need a drummer, you should call Ryan. He does all kinds of session work, a lot of studio stuff, a lot of major label things that we talk about, um, but just a phenomenal drummer, and playing Zappa's music is kind of like the ultimate for, for drumming, I would say. Maybe that and Rush, which we also talk about. <laughs> so anyway, I hope you enjoy this episode. Um, Phantom Fifth, my band, is going out to California, coming up very soon. We uh, are playing July 20th at the Brick and Mortar in San Francisco, July 22nd at the Uptown Nightclub. Uh, we're also going to be on Calex, the uh, college radio station there at Berkeley, on July 22nd during the day. And then the Viper Room, July 24th. And then back at the Bowery Ballroom, the Bowery Electric, sorry, in New York on July 29th. And this is all with Chris Klondike Mazuak from Radio Birdman, who uh, I interviewed in the last episode. Very excited to have him on board. These are going to be great shows. Anyway. You can go to phantomfifth.com, uh, listed there. Of course, always my website, paulstinsonmusic.com, tour dates, whatnot. Phantom Fifth now is a Facebook page. 
but uh, blah, blah, blah. You're not interested in that. You're interested in hearing from Ryan fucking Brown. And so am I. So without further ado, let us talk to Mr. Brown on Make It Big. Can you hear me now? I can hear you now. Can you still hear me? <laughs> yes, I can. All, All right, right perfect. I can't find the Wi-Fi, but this should be fine. I just want—I figured it might be a better connection, but I think this should be cool. So, all right. Well, if we start dropping off or something, I'll let you go hunt hunt that up. <laughs> awesome, dude. How how are you? It's been a while. Uh, it's totally been a while. I was trying to think of when even the last time was that I saw you. It might have been when we played at South by Southwest, which was, ah, oh God, I don't know, two thousand eight or something. Was that really two thousand eight? Holy shit! It was yeah. a long time ago. Uh, or I, we might have done another Radishes show in L.A. after that. I can't really remember. And um, yeah, I was thinking last night, I think it, it, you, I think you're right. It may have been South By. It could have been, yeah, because I know we did a show before that, and then we went out there, and then I don't remember after that. I don't think I've even seen you since then, which is crazy. Been, yeah, which, yeah which, <laughs> is, which is nuts. When, when did you move to New York? We moved to New York about two years ago, coming up two years uh, at the end of August. In fact, we're moving to another apartment uh, here in New York. But it's been nice, except you're experiencing the hottest fuck sticky weather. <laughs> <laughs> you were in Buffalo last night? Dude, yeah, we played Buffalo last night, and I literally was completely soaked yeah, after like three yeah. songs. Yeah, outdoor, <laughs> so, outdoor arenas. Out or, uh, outdoor yeah big big like outdoor street festival kind of a thing and okay how was it it was great it was yeah. there were like thousands of people there it was a free show that the city puts on which is awesome oh, wow okay they do that for everybody but uh yeah it is very humid here uh, extremely <laughs> so, humid you're coming in we're just getting into the oh yeah this this is the uh the hot summer where everyone leaves because june was really <laughs> nice and then it literally only a week ago it got really hot like this and of course, I'm like hobbling around on crutches, so I'm dying. <laughs> yeah, man, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that you broke your foot. I'm sorry too, because I was going to come out to Port Chester. We were actually, you're playing the Port Chester Theater tonight, right? Yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. Capitol we, Theater. In the, yeah. We were supposed, they have a bar there or something that we were supposed to play at one time because our bass player lives out there. So I was all stoked to come out and see it and check out Port Chester. But now we're doing <laughs> doing the FaceTime. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that's totally cool. Hey, I appreciate you even considering coming out. The place is really cool. We we played here before, and oh, okay. uh, the times we played here before, then there is always a band in that front room playing. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Well, nice. Which, At least you're going to be inside in the air conditioning tonight. Yeah. It, yes, it will be better. better. It will be better than last night. <laughs> <laughs> Sure. <laughs> well, man, I got so so much to ask you. It's been so long, and you've been doing so much stuff. It's crazy. And, and I'll say up front that um, I am not by any means a Zappa expert. Zappa was always like, "That's that's too hard." I don't know. What I don't know what they're doing there. I, I can't play that, so forget it. <laughs> so, did, were you always into Zappa? Always. Uh, uh, so I started playing piano when I was six. Started playing drums when I was eleven. Yeah. And uh, got into Frank's music when I was about 13 years old. Okay. And uh, immediately was it just became a massive fan of, of the music. And uh, the way I got into it was uh, I, I got a subscription to Modern Drummer magazine. And I didn't know anything about, you know, music really. And, uh, and every month in Modern Drummer... Uh, they would there would always be some mention of Frank Zappa, <laughs> sure. one of his drummers. Yeah. They always say, you know, here, uh, you know, Kerry Bozio played with Vinnie Kelly, yep. Chester yep. Thompson, Chad yep. Wackman, all these guys. And I kept thinking, 
I really need to check out this guy, Frank Zappa, because he's mentioned every month. So, so I bought a record uh, called Live in New York. Uh-huh. And uh, the first song in that record is Titties and Beer. <laughs> and, it, and it totally freaked me out. I remember, I, remember, I remember buying it and going home and putting it on. I'm just sitting there and just thinking, what is this? <laughs> Ch- changed your life. <laughs> Definitely changed my life. I, I didn't really know how to, how to take it. I've listened to the whole record. There's some other uh, lyrical gems on there, uh, like the Illinois Enema Bandit. And, uh, and a song called I Promise Not to Come in Your Mouth. Uh, <laughs> so not only are you you're blowing your musical mind but as an adolescent you're like what the hell I, that's exactly adult right yeah and world. I, <laughs> definitely adult world that's a great way to put it and and uh i listened to it a couple of times and then i kind of shelved it i was like i don't really get this and then and then every month there was some other mention of frank zappa some right. other mention of all these drummers and i thought well Clearly, there's a lot of records, so maybe I should get another one. So then I, then I got this one called Ship Arriving Too Late to Save a Drowning Witch. Yeah. And that's the one that I put on. That was probably about two months after my Live in New York experiment. And uh, I was still 13 or so. And I put that one on, and that, that was it. I was like, oh, that my gosh. This is the, yeah, I was, I was like, this is the greatest music in the world. And listened to that one as much as I could. And then, I, and then a couple months later, I went back and listened to New York. And then I was like, okay. I kind of get it now, and then, and then from that point on, it was basically how many lawns do I have to mow to make enough money to buy more Frank Zappa records? <laughs> do you have them all? I mean, what, I do. How many albums did he make? Like, well, so I think as of right now, because they keep releasing them, I think sure. they're up to one hundred. Yeah, yeah. Um, in his lifetime, I want to say that there were somewhere around eighty, right, or or something like that. Um, you know, there's a lot of live records. Uh, in, in that in that lump sum, but uh, I did eventually get them all. By you know, by the time I was you know probably midway through college, I had them all, and, and listened to them all the time, and started transcribing the drum parts on them. Oh, really? On, on your own? On my own, and I, I even I even ordered uh, some of the music from Frank's publishing company. Um, uh, you, they had a it was the best phone number ever. It was eight one eight Pumpkin for the. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the company was uh, Barking Pumpkin, and uh, so I called them and, and ordered the music for the Black Page and for Ship Arriving Too Late to Save a Drowning Witch and some other stuff. So I started getting into playing it all and uh, and and you know getting all the records. And, it, and clearly, it took a while to get all the records, but eventually, I did. <laughs> so, well, go, so going back, so you grew up in Denver until what? Yes. Until you yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Born and raised in Denver. Uh, lived in the same house my whole life until I went to college in Indiana at Indiana University right, in Bloomington. Right, okay. Yeah, I remember that. Cool. So, what were you? You were were you just playing at home, or you were in your bedroom with the headphones on, like rocking out, or uh, you know? Yes. Yeah, yeah. In the in the, in our basement, headphones on, rocking ah, the out. Basement. <laughs> the basement, the concrete walls. Uh, it was, yeah, it was the <laughs> best place to learn how to play drums ever. Yeah, I, uh, and I took lessons um, from uh, a couple of different people in Denver and uh, and played in the school bands and uh, did all the school band thing. I never did marching band, but I did you know, oh, concert okay. band, orchestra, okay. jazz band, percussion ensemble, all wow. that other stuff. They had that at your high school. They did. Oh, that's yeah. cool. I was, that's and, and I was, I was lucky because they, uh, they actually started the uh, – the thing when I was there that you had to be a marching band to do any other bands, but I kind of got in under that and I was grandfather closed <laughs> in. So I, not that I'm clearly against marching band, but sure. I, did, I did not have to do that. And uh, it might have been you. a different, 
path if I would have had to have done that. Never so. got your marching experience. <laughs> never, <laughs> never. <laughs> and then, so what was your first band? Did you start a band like in Denver? Or were you, you know, playing out with other kids or was it just through the school stuff? So that's a really good question. I did uh, all the school stuff. And then there were two guys I played with all the time. Uh, really, really good friend of mine named uh, Dave Potts. Mm-hmm. And he's a singer songwriter, guitar player, singer songwriter. And we started playing together basically every day and another friend of mine, Chris Childress. And so we both sort of, we never really formed like a band per se, uh, but, but Dave was like a solo artist when we were, you know, like 15, 16. That was actually my first uh, session that I ever did. Oh, okay. It was, was for him when I was, I just turned 16 and so went into a studio. started early. Yeah, which, <laughs> which looking back on it now, it's kind of crazy because we rehearsed every day and then we went in and we cut a whole record. I mean, the whole thing, all instruments, everything in one day. <laughs> That's how they used to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and exactly. Yeah. And, and, and it's, yeah, you're right. Like all the classic records were done that way. We did that and we didn't think it was any big deal. We thought, oh, that's how you do it. And, and now, like I go do a session and I don't hear it for like another year. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> you don't even meet so. the other people. Out of sure. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you like I rarely meet you yeah. know, a lot of the other people. You're yeah, you're Coming right. Throw on the track. All right, all right, bro. <laughs> Lay it yeah. Down, all right, do another one. All right, good. <laughs> Definitely. Well, so that, that kid uh, was his parents paying for it or or um. No, he he was uh, he was saving up money to do it. So it was, it was like you know oh, he, nice. he saved up money and and I put in a little bit of money I think and it was you know it was. Uh, it was like, you know, Hey, we have enough money to do one day. So, Hey, we're going to do one day. So let's go have some fun. That's hilarious. I actually actually remember getting there that day because, you know, it was a monumental day. First session, first everything sort of. And I remember the engineer was like, you guys want to do what? (laughs) (laughs) And we're like, and he was like, I hope you guys are rehearsed. And we were like, we are, don't worry. And then we just started knocking out songs and, and it was, it was pretty, it's pretty amazing. (laughs) That's a, well. It's funny because even back when I started, that's kind of what you did. Partly because you didn't have any money and you didn't know any better, so you just went yeah. in. And you're like, "All right, let's play it." I remember doing that for several different uh, records. It wasn't until later where it was like, "Oh no, 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 no!" You know, we don't, either you didn't have enough time to rehearse or the band like just wasn't quite there, and so then you started, mm-hmm. you know, doing your parts separately and overdubbing and that kind of thing funny right what yeah, was the name yeah. of that band was it just him then <clears throat> yeah D- yeah dave potts yeah and he yeah he's the man he's been one of my best friends for years and uh, he lives in, Al- in uh, auburn alabama now <clears throat> and plays all the time around there and i've i've played on uh, most of his records since then that's great and that's that's been a long time <laughs> so yeah how does that record hold up can you go back and listen to it without cringing you know what we listened to it together like back in march it sounds pretty damn good. Wow. Was it to tape? <laughs> it was to tape. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. to tape. And yeah, it's, it's funny because yeah, we were listening to it and I was thinking, I don't know if if I could really beat some of the fills that are on there now. It's like those those <laughs> fills are pretty rocking. <laughs> That's pretty excellent. It really got that vintage sound because it's taped. That's great. It, de- it de- definitely does. It was, you know, it was all like, you know, what, you know, we it was we'd rehearsed it forever. So, you know, it, yeah. was, it was, there was no thought, you know, you just kind of go in and play it and it just was what it was, but it, but it actually does hold up. Yeah. And was that, were you from the beginning sort of like, this is what I'm going to do. You know, I am going to play music for a living or for my life. 
Yes. So there were, there were two moments for me. Uh, the first moment I started playing when I was 11, like I mentioned, and then uh, there was a, a drummer in my high school jazz band, or sorry, it was middle school at the time, middle school jazz band. Uh, his name was Rich Lida. I need to find him. I haven't talked to him forever. And I remember he came to school one day and he said, hey, there's a drum clinic on, it was like on Saturday. And I was like, drum clinic, what's that? And he explained what a drum clinic was. And he said, hey, my dad's going to take me. Do you want to go? And I was like, well, that sounds awesome. So I asked my parents and they're like, yeah, sure, you can go. And it, and it was Greg Bizanet. And I did not know anything about anything. And so I went down there and he was in the middle of the David Lee Roth skyscraper tour. <laughs> was this like and a guitar center or something? It was, it, it was, this, it was a shop called pro sound. Okay. Yeah. In, in Denver, which was like a guitar center, like a local guitar center. Yep, yep. And, uh, and, and I remember walking in there, not knowing anything. And, and he started to play. He's playing along with tracks and doing solos. And kind of over that, like, two-and-a-half-hour period or whatever it was, I was like, okay, that's it. I want to be that guy. I want to do that. <laughs> I was, yeah. So it's it all this and that. I know him now. I've told him that story, <clears throat> which, which is, is awesome to be able to tell, you know, one of your childhood idols, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, so that was the first one. And then uh, the second one was when I saw Rush for the first time in 1990 on the Presto tour. Oh, yeah. yeah. So the Greg Biznet thing kind of like started it off. And then, you know, that was like the solidifier. I saw Rush and I didn't really know anything about them. I just, some friends of mine convinced <laughs> me to like, go. Neil Peart blew your mind. You're like, whoa. Just, yeah, it's a totally mind blown. Yeah, yeah. That, I went to, with the, my friend I mentioned earlier, Chris Childress, the other guitar player I would play with when I was a kid. And, and uh, we, we were fortunate. We grew up about a mile from one of the biggest venues in Denver. And so we could walk there. And so uh, when I was 14, I just turned 14 in 1990, and we convinced our parents. We're like, hey, let us walk over to this Rush show. And they, they somehow were like, yeah, that's a great idea. You guys should do that. So we, we, we walked well, over. And, <laughs> well, yeah, you know, right, yeah. It's probably like very – it's just safe as far as going to a rock show. You know. Right. No, no bats would be killed Bunch in the of middle of the show. Geeks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah and uh yeah they didn't know that they were sending me to become a prog geek You're right right <laughs> <laughs> but, so yeah we uh i went over to that show and and uh that was like that was it i was like okay end of story i'm doing this for the rest of my life i want to be those guys so it was like it was greg business on the david lee roth uh skyscraper tour and uh rush on the presto tour and then i was like okay that's it and when, when you came back, were you telling your parents, like, okay, now I'm going to be a drummer? Or you... Yes, <laughs> and I still, was. they were still sending you out? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, my parents have been unbelievable. I'm no, very lucky. Great. They've been they've been amazing, that's you know, a thousand percent supportive since day one of me deciding to do this. So It's funny because Neil Peart was one of those guys because when I was in school, everybody was into Rush. And it, even, even people who weren't musicians, it was just like, well, yeah, Neil Peart, he's the best drummer, like, ever. It was just, right. It's just like it is. It's known. <laughs> yeah. Right. It it is interesting. Yeah. And that's kind of how we ended up going to that show. It was like all these friends of ours were like, "Hey, you, you play drums. You need to go see this guy." And yeah. I was like, "Who's this guy? I and need to know this guy." Somehow you ended up playing with Alex Lifeson later. I did end up playing with Alex, which was kind of the craziest thing ever. Um, and we ended up doing a record together. Uh, he ended up playing on a record. Um. Yeah, this so this so this was crazy, especially being a, a diehard Rush fan for me uh, since day one. Um, 
so a, a really good friend of mine named Karam Maliki Sanchez um, is an amazing singer-songwriter I played with for years. And uh, I started working on his uh, solo record years ago. We cut drum tracks, and he just, he'd been working on it and working on it and working on it. And it had been about seven years or so since I had done drum tracks on it because he's, he's an actor, a very successful actor. So okay. he's, been, he's busy doing that. And, um, but he, you know, he really wants to make records. So we worked on this and he went up and did a, a, um, movie in Toronto and it's a long story, but he ended up uh, being in the movie with Alex Lifeson. Oh. And so they, they became like really, really good friends on this movie shoot. And when uh, they were hanging out after shooting every day, then Karen was playing him the songs that he'd been recording. And Alex just fell in love with it. And after Karen got back to L.A., uh, where he lives from the from the shoot up in Toronto, then Alex called him one day and said, you know, I really love that stuff. I want to play on it. Like, I can't stop singing those songs. There's something to that effect. Crazy. And then Karim called me, and he it was funny. He said, "Hey Ryan, uh, yeah, you need to come over to my apartment. I need to tell you something." And I was like, uh, "You can't just tell me over the phone." He was like, "No, you need to." <laughs> <laughs> he said, "You you need to come over to to my apartment." I was like, "You're sure you can't tell me?" He's like, "You just can you come over tonight?" And I was like, "Okay, okay." And I went over and he sat me down and told me the whole this whole Alec Lyson story. And I just sat there and was like. You are kidding me. I was like, <laughs> what are you even talking about? <laughs> and uh, and how did he really even, so Is Alex Lifeson an actor as well? Or was he just sort of making like a cameo or? He, he does do some acting. I know he, he was in like okay. an episode of the Trailer Park Boys and he's been in, in some other movies and a couple of TV shows. And he just really enjoys doing that. Um, and I, I can't remember what the movie was that they were that they were working on. Um, I'll have to ask him. But uh, so so he he had Karim send him some of the songs, and we had recorded. I think I had done seven songs, and then uh, Karim has a Toronto band that's awesome, also, and they had done like three songs for the record. And Alex picked three songs to play on, and two of them were ones I had played on. And, no and, way. Uh, and this is <clears throat> I'm not even kidding. So. Uh, when when Karim sent me the songs that Alex played on, because I'd already done drums years ago, like I said, so Karim flew to Toronto and Alex put down guitars on these songs, and I downloaded them. He sent me this sent them to me one night. I downloaded them, and I was uh, I teach at Musicians Institute in Hollywood. I got right. in the car that morning, downloaded them, put them on my phone. Got in the car, was driving on the 101, you know, going five miles an hour yep. in rush hour in the morning to MI. And listening to, the, to this, and I actually like started to cry. I was like, "This is the craziest oh. thing! Oh wow! I can't believe that that he that I get to play on this on this record with him." And then then I got to go to a go to dinner with him shortly thereafter, and he's the nicest guy in the world. Yes. Yeah. He's Very Canadian, much. of course. Is he? Of course he is, right? Yeah. <laughs> Ecstasy was the movie. According, <clears throat> ah, to, cool. according to Wikipedia. <laughs> there you go. Thanks, Wikipedia. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, so, so then, then he, uh, he, then we went, we actually went up to Toronto to do a CD release show. So we did, I did a rehearsal with him, got to play with him for the first time together at a rehearsal room in Toronto. And then we did a big CD release show for the, for Karim's record up in Toronto in August of, I think, 2014 and played that show. And, and Alex came out and played like three songs with us. And, oh my God. They must have gotten that. And that nuts. was, that was nuts. <laughs> was it like, uh, 
did you bust into YYZ during rehearsal or anything just for fun? <laughs> I, I, I did not. I, I, I restrained myself. <laughs> it took lots of restraint. I'm sure. But I did, I did restrain myself. It was funny. He showed up to the rehearsal. He, he, I mean, how many guitars does he have? He has, I don't even know. I don't even want to guess how many sure. guitars he has. I know it's a lot. And so he pulls out the, the Grace Under Pressure guitar, the, the Henter Sportscaster. Oh, yeah. Which I had, you know, on six posters in my room when I was right, a kid. Right. And he and he kind of pulled it out, and I looked at it, and like looked at him, and he kind of smiled, kind of like, <laughs> yeah, it, you know. And he never said anything, but it was I, I kind of got this like, I knew you'd get a kick out of me bringing the Hunter Sportscaster. <laughs> Here she is. <laughs> you didn't get to go like, yeah, you know, for an encore, we could, uh, you know, do Tom Sawyer, uh, you know, it'd be fine. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that'd, be, that'd be funny. I'm, You'd be like, yeah, I played along with that since I was 14 years old. Yeah, be, I totally it'll know. It'll be him. cool. It'll be cool. <laughs> and then you did something with Elliot Easton too. I did. Yeah, they're um, a great guitar player. Which he's he's phenomenal. Yeah, and I've actually this is funny. You mentioned this earlier about the session stuff. I've actually never met him, but I've done a bunch of stuff for Mark Hudson, who's an amazing producer who's produced Ozzy and Aerosmith uh -huh. and all the, all these other people. And he he was in Ringo's band for years and a phenomenal musician and. Uh, and producer and and one of his best friends is Elliot and so I did a, a, a few things for Mark that then Elliot played on. Okay, which, right. which is very cool to to hear that. So, but that's yeah, that's definitely the session world of doing stuff and not actually meeting the people. But well, that's that you that's, do it really, with. that's really interesting. That's one of the things that I'm interested about about because the world of session musicians or and sidemen is so kind of crazy to me. Um, how did you? So you're playing, you're playing at 16, you're, you know, you're already recording and then you decide to go to music school. What, what sort of the, was the progression? Were there more bands after that first record that you did? You know, no, there weren't. <clears throat> I think about that now. And that is, that, that is like an interesting thing. When I look back on it, there's, I played with Dave Potts all the time and, and, you know, a couple other guys, Chris, my friend, like I mentioned, but there was, you know, Chris and I formed a band, but we never played shows because, you know, we were, we were young. We just, we never did it. It was, and sure. I think now looking back on it, like growing up in suburban Denver, which is an amazing place to grow up, there just weren't places to play. Yeah, there, it wasn't, even, it wasn't even really an option. Like it yeah. never even really entered into my mind. Like, Hey, we need to go try to hit up this place to play. Cause it just wasn't the way it was. If you grew up in like in LA or New York city or somewhere. Sure. Um, and I, like the first, I remember the first, the first gig I did that was not school band related. I was probably six, 17 probably. And it was with Dave and we did a bunch of country covers at the university of Denver union. What? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm not even kidding. It was, it was like Lyle Lovett and like, you know, all this, all these like country songs and I, and Dave hooked that up. I don't even really know how that happened. Uh, and, and, and this like, crazy, what? what are we going to play? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty much. I was like, uh, I was like, all right, hey, we've been playing, you know, Primus Frizzle Fry in the basement for the last three months, but let's go, but let's yeah. go play, you know, when the thunder rolls. <laughs> so. It sounds like that guy has a, a commercial head on him where he's like, hey, man, this is where the money is. So check it out. <laughs> we're going to learn this country set.
Just shut up. You're going to get paid. <laughs> That's hilarious. And, and there might be something to that. Actually, I'll have to ask him. It's funny. We've never actually talked about how that, how that all went down. My, my memory of that, of that day was, was that it was the biggest deal in the world to like take my drums apart and bring them out of the basement and put them <laughs> yeah, in the car yeah. and set them up. And, and it was like the biggest pain in the ass in the world. And I remember, I remember thinking, all right, well, here we go. I need to get some cases now for my drums. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Roadies. <laughs> God, that's the worst about stuff. I started out playing drums a million years ago, and moving them around is just ridiculous, you know. Especially when, when yeah. you, like, a lead singer or something just leaves with their microphone, and you're like, you fucker. I'm sorry, I'm going to be here all night. Totally. Everyone's like, let's go party. And you're like, I'm breaking my drums down, and I yeah. go home so they don't get stolen out of my car. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, see you guys in two hours so-and-so's <laughs> household meet you in their basement yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is as I, I will i will say that that now having the that i have that uh the greatest thing in the world is having a drum tech oh, man. <laughs> so. well in that kit that you have i don't i was watching <clears throat> the the video from the house of blues thing that you did in december yeah, uh, yeah it was the last really year yeah. yeah is that the same kit that you're using same yeah same kit wow same what is kit. it like yeah. a six piece it, you know, that's, let's see. So I have three roto toms on the right, left, three right. rack toms, 10, 12, 13, two floors, oh, kick, damn. snare. Okay. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I guess 10, including the roto tom. Yeah. So that not, not something you can so, move around in your Corolla too easily. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the, the almighty University of Denver country gig was not a 10 piece kit. <laughs> <laughs> but did you have the roto toms at home? Cause you're like, I gotta get those. <laughs> You know, it's funny. I never owned Roto Toms oh, until I, I got this gig. The Dweezil. <laughs> I went to Guitar Center to buy them, and I knew most of the guys at Guitar Center, and they were like, "How do you never own Roto Toms?" Right? <laughs> they're, they're, like, <laughs> they're like, "You don't get them until 2013." They're like, "What the hell is wrong with you?" I'm like, "Hey, well, the time is now." <laughs> I, I even had them, and I couldn't play anywhere near like Neil Peart, but you know, just to do that. <laughs> like, wow, yeah. Kind of the rototom, a little splash, little splash symbol. You know, the splash action, all that yeah, yeah. Shit. <laughs> well, so, uh, so the, yeah, so the, yeah, the, the progression. That's it's funny, yeah, like you know, thinking about. There's just there was no there were no gigs. There's no places to play. So it just we did that gig, and that was kind of it. Like it was you know, I, I played in this other band. We never played out, and it was yeah. just school it was just school stuff. And and I had an amazing drum teacher named Dave Robnett. And uh, he got me into transcribing parts, and I started transcribing. Like, he, he totally threw me in the deep end. He was like, yeah, here's this uh, solo record by this guy named Dave Weckel. Here, transcribe this first song. And I was like, okay. And I went home and was like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so that's – wow, you started early then. Yeah, he, he like, totally threw me into the deep end, which was, which, which was amazing now that I think about it because I had yeah. to figure out really quick how to, how to write 16th notes out and subdivide. <laughs> That's always been my problem. I've never really been, been trained in anything. I just sort of screwed around with it. So I'm lacking that foundation, which it's stuff that in the beginning, you're like, well, I don't, why do I have to learn that? But later on, I think you're really like, oh, yeah, that's helpful. You know, thank you. That's happened that. to me a lot. Yeah. Like the, the biggest thing I've noticed with, with all that is just being able to, to write out charts. Yeah. Like if somebody is calls you for a session or for a gig or whatever it is have some way to, to notate, you know, what, yeah, what you can do and to, do and to do it really quick. Yeah. That's, that's the, the biggest advantage. And, 
And when I started playing the Rush songs, you know, my parents' basement forever ago, it, that same teacher, Dave Robnett, he, he got me into uh, like all these transcription books. He was like, oh, you love Rush? He's like, great. He was like, so buy this Rush book. And so I started, you know, reading, I kind of use that term loosely, you know, from day one, all these insane Rush parts that some guy wrote out in, in the book. But then, and that's a great way to learn how to how to read yeah because you because yeah. you know it like i knew all the parts for tom sawyer i knew what it sounded like i knew how to you know half-ass pull it off at that early age but then i could see and i was like oh this means this and this means this and this means this so right right that was, that was kind of a, a good learning thing for me for sure so well you sort of ended up playing some country <clears throat> well i don't know if clay aiken or bo bison really country um but, you know, the session work you've done, you've done a sort of a lot of mainstream kind of pretty four on the floor kind of stuff, which yeah. is great. But, you know, it's di so different from the Zappa and the, the Rush world. It is very different. It is very different. Yeah, it's it's more, you know, like meat and potatoes uh, holding it together stuff. And, it's you know, it's interesting. I think about the arc of like what I've listened to over the years. And I think it's, I think it's largely too true for a lot of drummers, but it's like when I first got into music, you like my favorite band in the world was Hugh Lewis and the news. And, <laughs> <laughs> like, I'll, co I'll cop to that for a little while. Yeah. <laughs> there's, you know, when I, you know, I, I'm an only child, so I had no older siblings and my parents didn't listen to rock music. My dad loves Motown R and B stuff. My uh -huh. mom was way, way into orchestral and classical piano stuff. So I had like I had nothing going for me in the like in the world of you know rock drums, and uh, I fell in love with Huey Lewis and the News, and then started playing, and then heard Biznet do that clinic, and then her Rush and and Frank Zappa, and then it was on, and so I went right. like I went from like sort of mainstream, and then like just totally jumped off the tracks, and was like, all right, right I live in Prague land now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and well, then like you kind of coast through that for like you know, years, forever. And then like slowly over time, you like start to like kind of come back and like realize how amazing all the Beatles records are. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. And, appreciate, you know, appreciate the simple and the pocket and just the rhythms that they came up with and, you know, just dialed in. Even yeah. if they're not super complicated, when you start to try to play them and replicate them, you're like, Oh, that's, it's not as easy as it sounds on the record. You are totally right. And actually, and a huge thing for me with the, the Beatles thing, and this, this ironically involves Greg Bizanet again, but when I moved to L.A. and I, I, I called him and started taking lessons from him, and, um, and he had a band that played at this, this place in L.A. called Cafe Cordial, which sadly closed recently, but huh. uh, they, he had a Beatles band. It was this killer band. Uh, and, and so watching him do it, like in person, is it like when I got it, I was like, oh, wow, like, like, wow these, parts, Ring these parts are genius. Yeah, yeah. That, that Ringo knows what he's doing. <laughs> and, yeah, definitely. <laughs> but there was like, you know, 20 years or 15 years or whatever in there where I was like, I was like, nope, not into it, not happening. It's funny. I had the yeah. same thing. I was always like, ah, oh, the Beatles, I don't know, all those harmonies. I'm, you know, I, I like the Stones and like dirtier stuff. And I got into punk rock and it was only much later, kind of the same thing where I came back to appreciate the Beatles and like, damn, how did they do that? You know? Yeah. Like I hear, funny. I hear it now and I'm like, I'm like, what, like who comes up with that? Like, yeah. if you give this guitar part to, you know, 40 drummers, no one's going to come up with that. Right, right, like, right. It's, Yeah, it's amazing. Well, you ended up doing jazz and percussion, though, at, at uh, Indiana. I did, yeah. So so I wanted to go 
to school for music. I wanted to do that. And my parents, you know, thousand percent supportive were like, that's great, but why don't you also get some other degree like as a backup? And so, so that, that's what kind of led me to start looking at kind of like major universities so that there would be some other plan in case I changed my mind or oh. to get a double major or whatever. So you didn't just go to like <clears throat> drum, drum clinic <laughs> university or whatever. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what was the, what yeah. Was the one in LA back then? Uh, Drummer's uh, Institute of Technology, right? Yeah. Right. Which is now, which is now part of Musicians Institute. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, Kit Percussion Institute of Technology. Uh, yeah. 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 And there's like Drummers Collective in New York and in Berkeley, and there's all these amazing schools. But that's that's kind of what led me to that angle. And uh, and initially, I was applying <clears throat> to get double majors, like do music and something else. So I was either going to go to like Indiana or Michigan had a had a great kind of dual dual program, amazing music school, and uh, and Northwestern and some other places. Um, but any anyway, I ended up going to Indiana to audition and and. Uh, Audition. They, they had a phenomenal jazz program there, and the head of the jazz department was this guy named David Baker, um, who sadly passed away a couple months ago. Oh man! And uh, he was just phenomenal. And so we went there, and I met with him, and I met with the percussion department with Wilbur England and Jerry Carlos and these amazing percussionists, and uh, and Kenny Aronoff was actually the drum set teacher there, and uh, Kenny actually went to IU also back in the day okay and and so we got there and i was like wait this is kind of the perfect place because i can study orchestral stuff with these amazing orchestral guys jazz stuff with david baker who's this phenomenal jazz educator and rock stuff with kenny and that's why i picked indiana because i could i could get like all styles from all these you know these amazing teachers and so i did my audition there and then after going through the whole audition process and meeting them, them, you know, my parents were like, you know what? You don't need to get a double major. Just do music. Really? That's yeah, amazing. They, so, yeah, they were, they, they were amazing from, from day one. And, and, you know, my dad, you know, and upon meeting all those people and seeing it and talking to them, he was like, you know what? Just do it. Go for it. Just music. That's do so it. great because I was thinking your parents would be like, yeah, and then you'll do business on the side or something. You're right, yeah. Which would have been impossible. Yeah. You know, it would have been yeah, I mean, so time consuming. It's so, you know, I mean, it's like it's like anything and in, in anybody wants to do in life. It's, I guess, you know, you, you now looking back on it, it's like you just pick one thing and just put all your chips in. And, you know, it's like yeah. that, that book, the 10,000 hours book, you know, it's just like put all of your time into it. Yes. And yes. go for it. And, and uh, you know, and Kenny was that way. I remember talking to him about that for a long, a long time. His his whole philosophy at the time was just go for it, go for it. And then when you get out of school, he was like, pick a city, doesn't matter where, move there, stay there for like seven to 10 years uh-huh. and just work your ass off. And he was like, he was like, it will happen. He was like, just, just put all your time into it and just That's do it. And he was like, and if, and if it doesn't happen or if you're not happy, it's like the other side of it. I know you and I have seen people that are, you know, that do it and aren't it, you know, don't right. dig it after yeah, they get yeah. into it. Well, or they get, they get bogged down yeah. in like the negativity or like, you know. Totally. And yeah. I saw that right when I moved to LA. Like I met all these guys who are amazing musicians who were super dark. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh my God, I'm never going to be that guy. That's and, great. Uh, and, you know, how, whatever it takes, even if it means I don't do this anymore. I just don't want to be that guy. But that was his thing was like after seven to ten years, you'll know if either – you're really going to make it or if you don't want to do it or what. So, right. That's brilliant advice. It's so simple, but that's really true. 
Yeah, it really is. And, and Bizanet had the had the same thing when I when I met him. I got to LA. I was like I was like, what should I do? And he was just the first thing he said he was like persistence. He was like yeah. he was like you're here. You've practiced your whole life. Now just just do just take every gig you can and just yep. do every just do everything. Well, that's the other thing I was going to say is that you really just have to put yourself out there and be like, I'll play anything, you know, not like, oh, no, I'm going to hold out for only the best sessions or, well, I'm not going to play with that person and do that gig. It's like, well, no, you know, because you, you never know who you're going to meet like doing a gig or what other musician you're going to meet who's going to be able to hook you up with some other gig that's better. So, you know. You are so right. And I've seen a lot of, a lot of people that, you know, only want to do one style of music. And I, I see none. And it's a great thing when I teach at MI and I see a lot of kids come in and they're like, you know, Oh, I want to do this. I don't want to do this. <clears throat> and I, it's, it's great to kind of catch them when they first get to LA and be like, no, you need to think about this. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> because you know, it's, it's, it's like, Hey, you know, even if, even if you are the best, you know, pick any, style you know drummer or whatever it is in the world you're automatically a little bit limiting your source of income for sure yeah like right like right out of the gate you, you know in, even if you even if it's not your favorite thing in the world you can at least do it and and make money you know it's, it's still better than doing something that you don't want to do you're still playing yeah. drums and yeah. you can and I, and every time i do some gig i'm always you know, learning something about playing with other people or that style that I never knew before. So it's a, that I can apply to lots of other styles of music. Sure. So yeah, you're you're definitely right about that. That's a, that's a huge thing. It's just kind of, I, I mean, the other thing is though, you, because you went to music school and because you probably played already, you know, up through music school, so many different styles, you probably had a better, more confidence and a broader basis to sort of do that. Be like, oh, I could probably, you know, get that gig. I'll practice up on it a little bit, but yeah, I could play that. You know what I mean? I yeah, yeah, you're you're right. And that was I'm very lucky for that. And that, that goes back to the teachers I had in an early age that were just like, Hey, you need to learn all styles of music. Like yeah. day one. Yeah. They were all they were all like that. And that's a good part about the like the school band program too, because it's you you have to play Latin stuff. Sure. You know, diff different kinds of Latin stuff, different kinds of swing, different kinds of rock that kind of forces you to to do it. And you don't really think of it that way at the time. It's just like, oh, this is the charts, so I need to learn how to do this. And then I go to my private teacher, and he teach me how to play a, you know, a songo or whatever it was. And, right. And that, and that, that does that does end end up, you know, there's the the term "fake it till you make it." They, you know, <laughs> I hear a lot. Of, it's like it's like you know you get called for you know, like you know like a, a timba gig or you know some some you know random style music gig. It's you know it's like well you know I can probably pull that off if I you know, get a couple of books or now go, yeah. on, go online and look up a couple of grooves. I can probably figure out how to do that. I'm not going to sound like I played it since I was 10, but right, right. You know. good learning experience. <clears throat> Great learning experience. Yeah. And the meeting people thing is huge that you just said. It's like, it's like no matter what the gig is, if you know, if so, if you, if somebody calls and, and it's some gig that, uh, you know, somebody doesn't really want to do, if you turn it down, think of all the people that you're not meeting. Exactly. By, by doing yeah. that. So, so let's say yeah. the band has five people in it. So there's those five people, yeah. you know, and then all those people know tons of other musicians that they eventually could recommend you to someday. And then you play a show and there's a hundred people there. So there's a hundred people to see you. There's yeah. the people at the club. So immediately, like I've always kind of thought of it that way. They say exactly what you said. It's like, if you say no to something, you're immediately cutting out like 
in that case, you know, roughly, you know, whatever, like 105 people yeah. to see you play, they, will, they would not see you play. Right. Otherwise. And you never know what kind of opportunity it's going to lead to. Yeah, <clears throat> exactly. Well, when, yeah. So when you graduated, were you like, all right, I'm, that's it. I'm going to L.A., pack up the uh, car or whatever? Yes. So I was, I was either going to go to L.A. or to New York, I decided. And uh, you're, you're going to probably find this funny. I decided not to go to New York only because I talked to friends of mine that have moved there and moving drums in New York sound, <laughs> <laughs> it sounded like the biggest fucking nightmare in the world. It was like, yeah. I, I talked to these guys. They're like, oh, yeah, we have a car and we get on the subway. And I was like, what? No, I was like, I've never even been on a subway without drums. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> like <laughs> the one, the one good thing because of that <clears throat> is that backline exists in New York clubs more so than it does anywhere else. Like we're going to California to play some shows and you know, nobody's got backline and here everyone's right. so like, Oh, God, we're going to, you know, go to SIR and rent everything, get a van. And yeah. Yeah. But moving stuff here. I remember when I, when I first got here, I went out on some auditions and I didn't even have, like a um a case for my guitar i had like just a hard case for my guitar and the first time i was like carrying the hard case and my pedal board and like riding the subway and you quickly realize <laughs> that like no 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 you get the nylon case you put it on your back you get the pedal board and a nylon case you put it on your front and that's it <laughs> it was like very simple lessons that you had to learn to like get along in new york <laughs> i love it i love it and and yeah, and people were telling me too about like getting getting a taxi and oh, still yeah. putting like all their gear on like a dolly and wheeling down the street and yeah. i was just like yeah. and so so all that led me to i was like all right i'm going to la yeah <laughs> yeah uh, oh that's making me think because i've got a show tonight and i have a broken foot but luckily two of the people in my band have cars so i mean i'm gonna meet them at the studio and hobble around a little bit but they're gonna carry everything <laughs> so bad <laughs> Well, so, so basically, I need to act like I always have a broken foot. Yes, it's very so this, yeah. <laughs> so that people, yeah. People hold doors, and it's, it's kind of – you can also move a lot slower, you know, <laughs> which is nice. Did you Now, did you know anyone in L.A. when you first went out there? Um, <clears throat> so when I first moved to L.A., uh, one of my best friends, Mike Dupke, uh, who was also a drummer, was moving to L.A. at the same time. So we, we both just, I put my stuff in the car and drove out there. Now, actually, I need to, to go back just a second. I didn't have any money. So to save money, to save money to move there, I played on a cruise ship for about oh, nine months. Oh, that's when you do that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love this so, story. So, so yeah, so I, I, I got out of, of Indiana. And I actually, I played on the ship also between my junior and senior year for three okay. months. And then did it again after I graduated for about nine months. And it's a great way when you have when you have no family, no house, when you have nothing. There's no expenses, no apartment, nothing. I saved every dime yeah. I made on the ship. So I, I did it for for nine months. I saved every dime. And I took all that money and I was like, "All right, I'm going to LA." So that's that's how I did it. So I, I drove out there, and and Mike Dupke drove out uh, from Nashville, and we got there at the same time. We got a hotel room together. But I did not know anybody in LA. Um, so <laughs> you're one of the so guys. You're one of those people. <laughs> so Let's yeah, go I, to Hollywood Boulevard. Let's go see the stars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Woo! Yeah, the whiskey. Yeah. yeah check it awesome. out, man. Go to the beach. So this is kind of crazy. So so we we go out there 
we, and he, he had a gig. He was in a band called Hair of the Dog, and they were uh-huh. touring all the time. And, and he just had decided to relocate out there. So we go out there, we get a hotel room together. And looking back on it now, this is, this is kind of amazing. But uh, the first day we lived there, I, he like had a rehearsal. So I went to Guitar Center, Sherman Oaks. And I had heard that the Valley was a cool place to live. I was like, okay, so there's a guitar center. All right, I'll go in there. So I just started talking to the dudes in the drum department. <laughs> and I said, hey, I just moved here. I don't know anybody here. What should I do? And this guy, and I wish I knew who it was. I don't know who it was, but whoever was at the counter that day said, well, there's this club around the corner called Cafe Cordial. And you should go there because tonight Simon Phillips is playing and it's free. And I was like, what? what? <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like, what are you even talking about? And the guy was like, yeah, it's right around the corner. You don't have to pay. There's no, no cover, no drink minimum. You can just show up. And Simon Phillips, who is like one of the best drummers in the world, is playing there. I was like, uh, yeah, okay, L.A. kicks ass. <laughs> so <laughs> so, so that, that, that night I went over there to Cafe Cordial, saw him, and sat at the bar. Didn't know anybody there. Sat at the bar, and I met three dudes at the bar. This is in 1999. So Simon Phillips is from Toto, right? Yeah, from Toto. He okay. played in the Who. And the stuff I this, like, my one of my favorite records is the Jeff Beck there and back record. Okay. Uh, which is like how I got into him and how did I get that record? Because they wrote about it in Modern, in Modern Magazine. Magazine <laughs> which we have to point out, you uh, you placed fifth in the 2015 Modern Drummer Readers Poll in the Prague category, which must have been great. I still don't really believe that actually happened. (laughs) They sent me a certificate that I have at home and I look at it and I'm like, nah, I'm like, my wife probably just Photoshopped that. Like, (laughs) like, like, that was the craziest thing in the, in the world that that, that all the modern drummer stuff went down. Did you even know you were, how did it work? Do you get nominated by the readers or by the people who work there? You get nominated. I'm not. I'm not sure by whom, but um, I actually was was lucky enough to to uh, have an article written about me that year by by a guy who actually I'm going to see tonight. Uh, his name is David Brent Silver. Uh, uh-huh. He wrote he wrote an article about me that was in I think it was the October 2015. Is that right? I think that's right. Maybe October 2015 issue. Um, uh, with Ian Pace on the cover from Deep Purple, uh, and so he wrote this article, and that generated a whole bunch of, of press, which was amazing. Uh, and so that's how I ended up getting nominated because they because of that article. Oh, interesting! Wow. Okay. <clears throat> so that was an amazing experience, which led to all kinds of incredible things. I'm so, sure. I'm sure. Which is very, I'm very, very grateful for that. So, so yeah, the, uh, Modern Drummer used to publish, uh, and I don't think they do it anymore. They would be like the 25 greatest drum records ever recorded. And one of them was that Jeff Beck record. So at some point in high school, I got that record. So, yep. so then day, day one living in LA, all of a sudden I get to go see Simon Phillips. So I was like, fuck yeah. <laughs> Here we what, go. what was this place? Cafe Cordial? Hmm. Cafe Cordial. Huh. I kind of lived there. So, so it was, it's funny. So they, that guy told me to go there. So I eventually ended up getting an apartment uh, within walking distance of Cafe Cordial. And this was in Sherman Oaks? In Sherman Oaks. It was oh, uh, Ventura okay. and Hazeltine. Okay. Uh, right next, there was a Ralph there, right next to the Ralph. So, so I got an apartment, uh, just uh, a studio apartment, uh, after Mike and I you know, had our little uh, hotel adventure while we tried to find a place to live. 
And I got that apartment and I could walk there and I would walk there almost every night because I didn't know anybody in LA. I didn't know where to go. And it was a great place. There were tons of people hanging out there all the time. Amazing players playing there all the time. And it was free and no drink minimum. And I actually, this is, this is pretty funny. I got to know like the bus boys there really well because I go there all the time, but I didn't have any money. <laughs> they didn't have food. a job. So, <laughs> so they, so they would bring me water and then. Because I got to know them, they, there's the bread you get at restaurants. <laughs> yeah. Like when, when you sit down, the dudes would like bring me the loaf, the little loaf of bread, and some water, and I'd like sit in the back <laughs> and not buy That's anything. <laughs> I just sit there and like, oh yeah, I'm gonna go here, Peter Erskine tonight. I'm gonna go here, you know, Greg Bizonet tonight. I'm just gonna sit in the back and eat my free bread and drink water. This place is fucking charmed. awesome. <laughs> well, did they also do like jam nights or something where you could sit in, or was it just? You know, uh... they didn't there for a long time. There was one across the street from there called at a place called Cozy's. It was a blues jam. Okay. Um, they did that, they, but not at Cordial for a long time. But uh, but the first day I ever went there, and this was uh, like in 99, and I'd been in L.A. for a day. So I sat at the bar, and I met three guys at the bar. And each of these three guys I'm best friends with today, 17 years later, and each of these three guys led me to some like monumental thing. Oh, my God. That's, isn't which that is, amazing? insane and it's and it's i just i went in there and i went in there and i just these guys were hanging out and i was like i was like hey dudes what's up <laughs> and they're like hey man and, and they're like hey uh what's going on i was like oh just moved here i've been here for a day and they were like what and they're like how did you find this place i was like oh the guy at guitar center told me to come over here they were like what <laughs> <laughs> well i think the great thing about la or i don't I don't know, maybe it's just a musician community or maybe everyone. Everyone's really open and, like, friendly and, like, yeah, you know, it, like, will help you out. It's kind of uh, – I find it kind of amazing. Everybody is pretty amazing there. Yeah, you're, you're totally right. Everybody's, everybody's very friendly and very willing to, to help out, you know, new people in town. And I love being on the other side of that now, teaching, like, you know, seeing all these guys come yeah. to L.A., you know, from, you know, West Virginia or wherever they're from and be like, all right. You know, here's what you should do. You know, here, try this, try this, try this. So it's really fun being on the other side yeah, of that now all yeah. these years later. But, but uh, what, so one of those guys, <laughs> it's so it's so crazy. One of those guys I met that night, he was like, what are you doing tomorrow? And I was like, nothing. I got nothing. <laughs> I got- <laughs> <laughs> and he, and he, he was like, he's like, I play in this band called Green Jello. And uh, there's a party at the the Green Jello had like this this like compound like sort of place like rehearsal place sure. workplace down down in Hollywood. He was like, there's a huge party there tomorrow night. You should come down. I was like, dude, that'd be great. So I went down and met him that that next day. And that night at that party, like the second day I lived in L.A., uh, ended up meeting tons of people there that I'm still friends with today. And one of those guys that I met there. It was, it was a guy named Pete Jones, and I met that night, and we hit it off, and I started playing in his band, and he led a jam session, and I was the house drummer in his jam session. We played for years. So this guy, Pete Jones, in 2006, when Dweezil starts Zappa plays Zappa, uh, he gets called to be the drum tech for Joe Travers. Oh. And, and that's how everything I'm doing now, it all goes back to that, ironically. Oh my God! So within so, the first couple of days of moving to LA, you, you basically establish the roots of your your entire musical success. <laughs> yes, yes, which is 
insane. Uh, it like, was, now meant, I it was meant to it. be. It was meant to it be. It kind of wasn't. It's, 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 he knew I was a you know diehard Frank fan, and I had all the records, and we sure. would, he was too, and we would jam stuff, and, and I knew that Joe was going to be the drummer. Joe's one of my favorite drummers in L.A. He's incredible. <clears throat> he called me. He told me in 06, he's like, dude. You know, this is this is amazing. Dweezil starting this band, and he was like, "I know you're a huge fan. I'll you know, I'll, I'll introduce you to Joe, and you know, I can, you know, probably you know, get you into a couple of shows if you want to come down." I was like, yes, "Yes, yes, and yes." So, so you know, they start playing out. So, like right out of the gate, like when they had their first rehearsal before the very first ZPZ tour, uh-huh. he I, I went down to the rehearsal, and and uh, my wife and I sat in front of Steve Vai, like, and I, I mean like one, <laughs> one foot in front of his pedal board for the, for the dress rehearsal. And I was just like, Oh my God, this is the greatest band in the world. They're playing all Frank stuff. And Terry yeah. Bozio was here and Vi's and I was like, you know, was my, you know, 13 year old head was going to blow up. Terry was so Bozio was there. And he was on that first tour. Yeah. Wow. It was Terry, Terry and Steve Vai. And, and it was, it was incredible. So, so, so right in the middle of all that, I, I remember grabbing Pete and I was like, Pete, if Joe ever quits, you have to call me. <laughs> I was like, just give, just give me a chance. And he was, but I was like, he'll never quit. Like why, you know, that, that yeah, why would he quit? Sure. I was, I was like that, that'll, that'll never happen. Like that'll, that'll never, that'll never ever happen. But I was like, Hey Pete, you know, so like every couple of years I'd be like, Hey, don't forget. Hey, if anything ever happens, <laughs> um, right, so that, that's, that's what got me, you know, my foot in the door. Then like uh, seven years later, then one day I looked down at my phone and, and it says uh, Pete Jones calling and I answered the phone. And he didn't even say hi. I answered the phone. He goes, Ryan. And I was like, yeah. He goes, it's time. It's <laughs> <laughs> like a, oh. a mythical moment, you know, where you get the, yeah. The sword from the king, or something. It's, you totally knighted. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Like this. You're right. Like this. The sword is in the stone. No yeah. one can pull it out. And all of a sudden, one guy is you like, "Guess what? You can pull out the sword." Yeah, you are the one. It's you. Awesome. <laughs> so so crazy. It's crazy because you ask about that. Like that's that's everything. What I'm doing right now goes back to that like first couple of days. Yeah. For me. Oh my god. Which is well, nuts. So. so I want to I want to talk about that, but what what was sort of your first like real session in L.A. where you're like, all right, man, like now I'm in. Yeah, so so funny. Also connected to Frank. Um, so I was trying to figure out how to play, and how to you know how to play out and meet people and all this stuff. Yeah. And and uh, so I got the Yellow Pages, which I don't even know if the Yellow Pages exist <laughs> anymore. I think there's a Yellow Pages app. <laughs> They're probably, you're probably right. There probably is. And that's no fun. You have to have the paper. No, I so, so, I, so I got the Yellow Pages and I looked up uh, everybody I could possibly get in touch with to play gigs. So so there was – I remember there was a thing that said entertainment agencies. Ah, okay. So I called – Literally every David person. <laughs> Get David Geffen on the line. <laughs> Is it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been funny. I would have been like, uh, yeah, yeah, that White Snake here. self-titled record? That's like my <laughs> one of my favorite records ever. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so I called every one of those people. Literally every one. And, and, you know, 80% of them were like, nope, click, you know. Yeah. But I was like, hey, I just moved here. I don't know anybody. I played drums you know do you have so so there was one guy in that list <clears throat> his name is jim johnson 
And he's the nicest guy in the world. And I talked to him and I, it, that, that day, which was probably like the first week I lived in LA. And he was like, you know what? Tell me about yourself. And so I, like, I was like, okay. So I went to Indiana, blah, 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 you know, play all styles of music, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, well, he said, I, I had a drummer on a gig in, in a couple of weeks and he just called and canceled. He said, how about we, you, you and I get together? You know, before I, before I give you the gig, can we get together and hang out? I was like, yeah. He was like, where do you live? And I said, Sherman Oaks. I just moved into that apartment. And he said, he said, I want to come by. And he said, I want to talk. And and we'll see. I was like, cool. I was like, how's tomorrow? Great. So he came by my apartment. But the was day. there? But this is like he hadn't even heard you play before. Like, how does he that never heard work? me play? You never like, heard yeah, me I'm play. A drummer, and he's like, okay, good. I need a drummer. It's exactly what happened. Let's yeah. have coffee. <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah, it was it was crazy. So he so he came to my apartment. He never heard me play. He didn't know anything about me. No, I you know nothing. And he was like, all right, play me some stuff you played on. So I have all these demo tapes, of course. And, oh, uh, so, okay. All right, good. Yeah, so, so I, play, I play him a couple of tapes. And he, then he goes, this is awesome. And I, we, I, I still play with this guy today, by the way, 17 years later. So, so he, uh, he's like, let me see your CD collection. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. So he's like, I open up in this cabinet. And he, I remember him like looking through everything. And it's like, you know, t it's, it's very eclectic. Cause sure. And all kinds of stuff. Yeah, yeah. But he just wanted to, he just wanted to kind of get a feel for, you know, if he plays or if he calls some tune, you know, like I, would I be able to hang on the tune? I don't, you know, or not. So he sits there. I'll, I remember it vividly. It's funny. I haven't thought about this for a long time. I remember him looking through all my CDs and he was like, huh? Okay. And he's like, are you free on this date? I was like, I have nothing going on. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I'm free. And he's like, okay, I've got this wet, it's a wedding gig. And they're like, and it paid great. You know, it was like some, you know, it was like my first like real sort of corporate -y wedding gig. Sure. He's like, I've got this, this wedding gig and it's like, and the band is killer and you're going to love the sax player. And I was like, who's the sax player? And he said, the sax player is Albert Wing and Albert Wing played in Frank Zappa's 1988 band. Oh, Wow. And I was oh, like, yeah. I was like, uh, what, who, what, who's, <laughs> who's course, he's like, yeah. because it's LA and that's just how it is. <laughs> and it's exactly. Yeah. And like, I, and that was my first like in insight to that whole thing. So we, so we, so he books me on the gig. He's like, I'll send you the set list. I was like, great. And he's like, cool. So, all right. Uh, tux, you got a tuxedo. I was like, I got a tuxedo. He's like, all right. So, so it was like in San Clemente. So, oh, yeah. so, so I drive down there to do the gig and no rehearsal. <laughs> No rehearsal. Okay. And, and of course, what did I bring? I brought all my 1988 Frank Zappa, everything for Albert Wing to sign. <laughs> <laughs> was he cool about it or was he like, dude, dude, don't bother me? So I waited. I waited like two sets. We did like three sets. So sure. I met him before the gig. Like we hung out and I was like, you know, on the inside, I didn't say anything. Yeah, yeah. But I think Jim had maybe mentioned to him that I was like a huge fan, you know, of, of Frank's music. Uh -huh. So then we did the first set, hung out in the set break, second set, hung out in the set break in the middle of that set break. I remember I was like, uh, okay. So I have like a whole, like Ralph's shopping bag full of stuff for you to sign in my car. <laughs> uh, is it okay if I go get it? <laughs> and he was the nicest guy in the world. He was like, Oh dude, of course. He oh, was like, yeah, awesome. he, was, he was, he was like, that's, he was like, that's so cool. You're into that stuff. And so then, then I was like, all right, tell me everything about 1988. <laughs> well, it's some of those, it's funny. Cause some of those people you're like, Oh man, I shouldn't approach them. But a lot of times, you know, they're happy for the appreciation. And a lot of that stuff, right. yeah. it's been a long time ago and you know, there's certain people who are really into it, but it, you know, it's probably not like a household name. 
Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I've seen that with a bunch of friends of mine since then too. And you're right. Yeah. Like a lot of people, you know, don't get noticed on the street and he he was very appreciative of it and he was super sweet. He signed all my stuff and yeah. <laughs> uh, but, the, but nice. that was my, that was my first like, like real gig, like awesome. probably about like a month after I lived in LA and that, and that was 17 years ago and man, God bless Jim Johnson. I've still, I've still played with him. I played with him like a month ago. Well now did he end so, up being like an agent for you or uh, he, he, he kind of, at that time he worked for another agency and then he kind of became his own agent. Okay. His own agency, but he books bands. He, he's like, you know, here's a band that does Dixieland stuff. Here's a band that does I, I you know, yeah, Sinatra yeah. stuff. Like whatever. So, so, yeah. so I never, you know, and that's a good point. I've never actually had an agent ever. Okay. It's all worth I've never done that. I've talked about that with other, with other drummers, other kind of sidemen guys. And I know there are some, some agents out there, but I've never actually had one. Yeah, I don't so. – uh, I guess the people I know, it's really just you know auditioning and getting recommended by people you already know. And, yeah. You know, yeah. Well, yeah. What, like, what was yeah, your first doing, thing, like studio session? How would you get that, into that? It's kind so, of the okay. same way, just like, hey, you know, someone needs a drummer, show up here. Yeah, okay. So that – so the first big session, like the first session I did ever that was actually like released – in stores. I, so I started playing around town and then I, I ended up getting in this band called Owl. Oh yeah. Which is a, a phenomenal band. Chris Wise. Yes. An unbelievable bass player, unbelievable singer, songwriter. Uh, I did that for about seven years and the band's still going and they're still kicking ass and they're, they're amazing. Uh, and I'm still really good friends with all those guys. I, but I was in that for about seven years. So Chris, ah, okay. he was, in, he, he was in the cult for about 15 years. Now he's playing with Ace Freely yeah. and Chris, Chris is amazing. Um, so, so I, I started playing with Chris who, and he, he totally took me under his wing and was like, you know, you just got here. He was like, you're my guy. Like you're the guy for my band. And he knows a lot of people just because he's been here for in, in LA for years and been playing forever and, right. you know, been in you know the cult and all this stuff. So, so there was a producer he was working with this guy named Michael Reed and he, and, and Chris said, Hey, you know, this guy's coming over to the, to our house. Uh, Chris had a house that he, he lived in and had a studio in it. And he said, you know, this guy, Michael Reed's coming over. We're going to work on some tracks. And I was like, sweet. So, so I, uh, we'd worked on tracks that day with Michael Reed. And then a couple of days later, I get a call from Michael and he's like, Hey, you know, he was like, I, I had a really good time working with you. And he said, I do all this other stuff too. Instead of just, you know, producing, producing Chris's projects, uh, you know, I'd love to use you on some other stuff. Would you be into that? And I was oh, like, great. hell yes, I'd be into that. <laughs> That'd be amazing. Um, and he was like, well, uh, what are you doing tomorrow? And I was like, nothing. <laughs> so, so I went over to his house and, uh, and he, and he at that time had, uh, some sort of publishing deal with Disney and he was writing all kinds of, of oh, like okay. Disney, Disney theme songs for TV shows and all this stuff. And he was like, yeah. I've got all this stuff. He's like, I have like 10 songs. He's like, do you want to come over? He's like, I would live in, in Calabasas, come out to my house and track drums all day. I was like, that sounds amazing. So I went out to Michael's house did all the stuff for him and we hit it off and I work with him all the time. Still, I just talked to him a couple of days ago. And, and, and so, 
And so that first, the, so and he's done like the Jesse McCartney and the Bo Bice. And, <clears throat> so yeah, he that's how I got into that whole thing ah, was, okay. was through him. So exactly. So he and he's he's an, he's an amazing singer songwriter. Has his own stuff and has produced stuff for years. And he was actually in Wang Chung for like seven years back in the eighties, <laughs> which I love because Dance Hall Days is like one of my favorite songs of all time. So <laughs> so whenever Classic. I see him, like I'm like I'm like play Dance Hall Days. You gotta play Dance Hall Days. Yeah. Uh, so so I'm that day one of the songs we did and it's it's you know like you'll record a bunch of stuff and you don't know what's going to get picked up or sold or yeah, re-recorded yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> that was kind of my intro to that whole thing um and this was in 2002 so three years i think in yeah 2002 sounds right and uh one of the things that we did got picked up and it was a theme song uh, or ended up being one of the main themes in this movie on for disney channel called xenon z3 huh and that was the first time I actually, he called me. He was like, dude, it came out. And so I actually went to Tower Records in Sherman Oaks and bought it. That was the first time I ever like went to a record store and bought <laughs> something Disney. I was on. <laughs> but wait, you bought, it was a Disney soundtrack for a TV show? It was like a, a Disney TV movie. There was a whole uh, series okay. of movies called oh, Xenon. And this was like the third one of those. And Michael done music for all <laughs> the Disney stuff for years. And, and he was like, I've got a copy. And I was like, nope. I want to go buy it. I was like, I want to go to the store and pick it up and buy the CD. It was like the first major label, major you know, yeah, dis- distributed yeah. thing I was on. And then, th- and then Michael uh, has, I've like, I've done tons of stuff with him. And then uh, one of his really good friends is a guy named Marty Fredrickson. And so I met Marty through him and then Marty started calling me for tons of stuff. And that was the, like the Bo Bice song was like the first massive song I ever did. And okay. that was at Michael's house with Michael Reed and Marty Fredrickson over there. And then that led to a, all that, all this other like American Idol yeah, yeah. kind of stuff. And so I started working with those guys for years. So, That's so that was hilarious. all through, through that band Owl. Just, and does just it end up being like, like just a session? Like, do you get any publishing for that, or you're not considered one of the writers? You're just like get the session fee or something. Exactly. Yeah. Se- yeah. Session yeah, fee. Yeah, yeah. Some of it's union, some of it's non-union, and so you know, I want it to be union because then you get residuals. Yeah. 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 From it, so so it just kind of depends on how they they have it worked out. But no, no, no writing credit, no publishing credit, just just performance credit. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's come back around to Zappa. I know everyone's going to want to hear about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you get the call and you're like, finally, I'm in. Yeah. Did you go home and re-listen to every one of your albums? Or was it an audition? How did it work? Okay. So this, yeah, this was pretty funny. So he, so Pete calls me and I was like, what do I need to do? And he said, I want you to record two videos of you playing two really hard Frag Zappa songs. Oh, okay right now <laughs> and i was like i was like when and he was like yesterday and I, was like, <laughs> I was like okay and i was like what song he's like doesn't matter he's like just do it now <laughs> and i was like oh shit <laughs> like it was like it was going down like that moment sure the, what was going apartment. down like, uh, all right. yeah and i i was actually i was at mi i was i remember i was in a room like i just got done teaching a private lesson there oh perfect. and and there's and there's uh there's a student of mine at MI who had been shooting YouTube videos for other students. He was amazing at shooting videos. He's also an amazing drummer and, and he's on the road now engineering and, and uh, doing, I think he's doing front of house for some band. 
Um, and so he, so I grabbed him in the hallway. His, his, his really good friend of mine, his, his name is Mike Sassano. And I grabbed Mike and I was like, dude, I'll do anything you want. I'll pay you whatever you want. If you meet me here like tomorrow at midnight when no one's at MI to video me playing these two songs. So he was like the video guy at MI. And he was like, dude, I'll do anything you want. You don't have to pay me. Tell me when to be here. I'll be here with my cameras. <laughs> and I was like, sweet. He was like, when? I was like, well, I need to practice, obviously, because I have no idea. I didn't even know what songs I was going to do. I had no idea. And, uh, and so he, he said, all right, when? I was like, how about tomorrow midnight? So, so we set the time. So I basically stayed there and practiced for like, you know, 24 hours. And uh, the songs I picked were Inca Roads, yeah, off of oh, One yeah. Size Fits All, and the Black Page number two, which I had done on my recital at Indiana, so I already knew it. Now, you know, there's a difference between knowing it then and knowing it now after like 225 shows or whatever I played. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but but uh, I was like, all right, we'll, I'll do those two. So I just practiced. I just put it, went in this, there's a room there at MI uh, where like no one can see in the room. So I just went in that room and just practiced and just played those two songs over and over and over and over again. And then Mike Sassano came the, uh, the next night. We moved in one of the kits into a big room and he videoed it for me. And then he like, he, he, uh, cut like a couple of different, couple of different camera angles and synced the video to the audio and did all this stuff for me. It was amazing. Uh, and then I, I got the two videos. I sent them to Pete uh, and then he sent them to Dweezil the next day. And then he called me, Dweezil called me the day after that. So it's probably like three days after that. And Dweezil called me and, and he was like, he was like, Hey, I got the videos. You know, that's awesome. Thanks for sending those. I'd love to talk to you about being in the band. And I was like, hell yes, here we go. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> I was like, I was like, and then, and then it was, it was really, really interesting and really awesome. It was, it was almost like a, like a one hour quiz about, about his dad and his dad's music. About and, how much you knew? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, okay. so, and because he, he really wanted somebody that knew his dad that and loved his dad's that. music. Exactly. And yeah. so at that point I realized what kind of what was going down. I was like, I sort of feel like I've been prepping for this my whole life. Like yeah. since I was 13, like this is yeah. totally dream gig. Like I can't believe this is happening. And I, and like, I know all, all these songs. I've known all the records forever. And so he, you know, he said, he was like, okay, tell me about my dad's music and tell, you know, what are your favorite records? Why? Who are your favorite drummers that played with my dad? Why? Sure. Okay. Who, who, who played on one size fits all? what's your favorite part about that? Who played on live in New York? What's your favorite part of that about that? How would you describe Vinny's playing? It was like, it was, you know, wow. always, and, and I was like, I was, you know, and I, I know all the stuff. So, so we talked about it. So it was about an hour long or so. And then he said, okay, I'd love to play. Let's do an audition. And I was like, fantastic. And I was like, when he was like, I'll let you know. He's like, I need to figure some things out. I'll let you know. I was like, sweet. So then then like what you said, I was like, I was like, Oh my God, I don't know what song. I know. Right. right. And there's like a hundred records. I was yeah. like, Oh crap. <laughs> so I was like, so I just, I didn't know where to start. So I just started putting on everything, which I, you know, I listened to it all the time anyway. I was just like, all right, I'll start listening to a bunch of stuff. So right. at least get familiar getting, with it again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. So I was like, you know, started getting stuff in my head and there are you know, a couple of songs I thought maybe he would pick, but I didn't know. So then, he called me and he said, Hey, how's this date and time? And it was about two weeks away. And I said, that's great. 
So, so he said, I'll, I'll email you a list of songs to learn. I said, great. So like a week goes by, no list. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, okay. So I'm like still <laughs> listening to stuff. So like another day goes by, no list, another day, another day, another day. And all of a sudden I was like, oh no, like how, like, <laughs> like it's good. Like we're getting really close and there's, and there's no list. And, and it's so, like one of those things where you don't want to bug him about it. Like, hey, man, like, where's the list? <laughs> Bingo. And I was totally. And I like every day I was like, should I email him? I don't, I don't know him. Should I email him? No, yeah, I'm not. Yeah, email. Yeah. The next day, should I? No, I don't want to bother him. And I was like, oh, no. So, so it was like the audition was on, th- on a Thursday. It was like Monday night about midnight of that week. I, fi- I did email him. I was like, hey, can't wait to play on Thursday. Hey, any chance you could maybe send me a list of songs? <laughs> I was like, that'd be awesome. So the next morning, Tuesday morning, I woke up, so it was about 48 hours in advance, and he sends this list of 10 songs, like 10, like really hard songs yeah, yeah, yeah. to learn. And, and, you know, he's like, hey, here's the list of tunes. And I was like, ah, oh, here we go. All right. So I, I looked at my wife. I was like, bye. See you Thursday, yeah. essentially. I was <laughs> like, going to be in the studio until then. Exactly. Exactly. So I, I put everything, you know, I grabbed my iPod, put everything in my bag and like left and basically didn't sleep for like 48 hours, yeah. essentially. Because I was have... like, I want this gig and this gig is mine and I'm going to go practice the shit out of this stuff. Did you chart them out at that point? So good question. I did only to, I know the songs, I know the forms, but I did yeah. it just to get inside them on like yeah. another yeah. level. I chart them out just to get really inside parts to see how much detailed information I could get in 48 hours on 10 really hard, crazy songs. Yeah. So I did, I did, and I didn't, I didn't need them, but it was great to just kind of get it back in my head and kind of reload my brain with all the information that I needed to do. So I did that. And then I basically practiced for 48 hours and like didn't sleep. And, 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 uh, and so I, I get to the audition and then I figured out later that it made sense that if, if I were him, I would do the same thing because I would want somebody in my band that really loved it and really knew it. And even if there wasn't enough time to, to nail it, it would be enough time to, to know if somebody did, you know, if I wasn't bullshitting him in the hour long conversation yeah, for sure. that I would at least be able to fake my way through it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he, you know, he'd at least know you know, that I did actually know the songs and was, was actually a big fan. So, so I, so I go in and, and played, played the 10 songs and it went great. Although I was so like, I was sort of delirious because I really slept (laughs) (laughs) and it was, it was actually, we, we laugh about it now because I was so like, I was so excited to be there and to play with him and to play with them. And, oh, my God, I can't believe this opportunity is happening. And I never get nervous. Like, I never get nervous. But I was just so tired and excited and anxious. Uh-huh. And I remember we, we played. The first tune was Echidna's Arf. And we played Echidna's. And, I, and Sheila turned around and looked at me. And she goes, hey, Ryan. And I go, yeah. And she goes, take a deep breath. <laughs> <laughs> we actually we were talking about it a couple of days ago. It was really funny. And I looked at her. And I was like, I did it. I did it. And she goes, great. 
Now just relax. <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay. okay. Yeah. I was like, oh my god, oh my god, I'm playing, I'm playing with Zappa, play Zappa, and I get to play with Zappa, and holy shit, and all, I get to play all these songs. I was, I was, just, it was like all this stuff, which is funny because like I've, I've played, I've played like stadiums in China, for like with pops, like I've played all these huge, huge events. I never get nervous, but I was just like so anxious and so excited for the for the opportunity to do it. Well, sure. So it was really, it was really, really hilarious though. Well, this she is just, super, super meaningful to you, so you know. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's totally. It's like it's been a part of me for for years. So, and what so was this that. in in twenty twelve? This is in in thirteen, 2013, uh, like okay. like Mar March March of two thousand thirteen. Got it. So then uh, we did that, and there was another guy that came in after me, um, and I, I, I'm not going to name who it was, but he's an amazing drummer uh-huh and and uh and he he came in and i saw it was him and i was like oh shit and you're like oh I was like, man this, yeah because he's amazing he's and he's a super <laughs> sweet guy and and i was like oh no i was like oh no so so i knew he was going to crush it so i didn't know how many people were auditioning i found out later it was that that they whittled it down to just the two of us actually going into play Oh, okay. That there was like a bunch of screening, like the phone conversation and the video, yeah, and there was yep. a ton of screening. I, you know, so it was just the two of us. So then the next day, Dweezil called me and he was like, hey, thanks for coming down. That was great. I want to add a couple of songs. I want to do a callback on Sunday. I was like, great. And he was like, all right, this time, that, that first one was at a rehearsal studio in the Valley. He was like, this time it's going to be at Sheila's house. And I was like, huh. fantastic. I was like, let's go over there. So, so, we, so I get there. And the guy who went after me the first day went before me. <laughs> so, he, so he was there. And I walked in. I was like, oh, no, because I know he crushed it because he's, sure. he's a phenomenal guy. So I go, I go into the room, and we play all these tunes. We play the new tunes. Then he, like, starts asking me more questions. And he's – and then he – and now I – and I do this now, now with students. He was like, all right, let's play – the black page, but start in the middle, start at this part. And he'd like oh, play some yeah. wine on the guitar and he'd be, okay, ready, count off, go, 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 go. You know, and so like after he would, then it was like a form test. Yeah. Yeah. He was like, let's play, you know, like, um, it was, I can't remember. I'm blanking on some of the songs. Like let's play Packard goose, but start at the second verse. Ready, go count it off. <laughs> So then it was like like extreme form test, which yeah. I love. Now now I do now I do to students of mine. It's a great because I'm like, hey, this is the shit that happens in the real world. You need yeah. to know how to do this. Yeah. So so it was like dropping the needle in all these different spots. And then and then uh, and then the black page number one was not on the list, the drum solo, but he was like, Hey, uh, do you know? And I was like, Yeah, I played it on my recital in college. And I told him that before, and he was like, he's like, and I had it ready because I figured he was probably gonna ask me, even though it wasn't on the You're list. so prepared, Ryan. <laughs> and, he, and he was like, play, he was like, play it. It was awesome because it was on it was on uh, Sheila and her husband have have a killer drum set. This is a little four-piece kit. So he so I played it on the black page on the little four-piece kit. And uh, and it was, which was fun to play on a, a tiny little kid. And I, and I remember Dweezil said when I finished, he said he said, "Man, that he said that sounded great. That sounded like Buddy Rich playing the Black Page." No way. <laughs> it was on, oh. on, a, on a little four piece. Sure. And then and then like slowly everybody in the band like started like kind of leaving the room, going to like hang out somewhere in Sheila's house. And it was just me and him. And he just he asked me a bunch more questions about his dad's music and all this stuff. And then. I left that day, and then, of course, like you know, two or three weeks go by, and I don't hear anything. And right. I was like, like and, I, and I, was, I totally thought I didn't get it. I was like, no, because the other guy yeah. was there. I was like, I was like, no, he's you know, he's amazing. He crushed it. You know, he's he got it. And then, and then I'm like, 
every day I was like in the same scenario. I was like, I kind of want to email somebody, but I'm not going to bother anybody. But right. man, I really want to know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, I, and then I looked down and, it's, and Weasel was calling me and I answered the phone. He was like, he was like, Hey, he was like, how's it going? I was like, great. And he was like, so, uh, I want to offer you the position in the band. And I was like, Oh man, holy shit. <laughs> I was like, like, this is the greatest uh, day ever. Drop the phone. Oh, yeah. Shit. It was, it was insane. It was insane. Like, Cause I, um, I totally yes. thought I, did, I didn't get it so much. time yeah. passed. I just thought I, I didn't get it. Sure. And, and the crazy thing for me too, was that day, that day happened, and then two days later was the first time that I met Alex Lifeson, where I went to that dinner with him. Oh, right, right. So, so that the that day ended, and then I was like, "This is the greatest three days ever." <laughs> I was like, "This is." <laughs> oh man! <clears throat> so, when, when you're on tour, how many songs do you have like on the potential set list? Like, how many have you learned to, to <clears throat> do the tour? That's a really good question. I don't know, like, to like total songs for me. And I'm still, we have a new singer in the band named Mickey Hommel, who's awesome, but uh, she's only, she's been here for like a couple of months. So I'm still the new guy, uh, you know, before she got here. So, so even with me, I, I want to say I've done probably like 150 or something like that. Oh, wow. Like it's a lot of, but, but some of them, we just, some of them we haven't done for a while. Some of them, he'll just call like last night in the show. He, you know, at the end of the show, he, he just turns around and called a tune and we haven't played it since like December. So anything can happen, which is great. I love that. It's just, it keeps you on your toes. It's just like Frank would have done. You yeah. know, it's like, Hey, yeah. here's this song. You know, I know you know it cause you guys did it, you know, nine months ago. So, Hey, here we go. So how are the crowds? So the, Great. Last night was awesome. It was a, it was a uh, outdoor thing in Buffalo and there were, there were, I don't even know. It seems like it was definitely in the thousands. It was probably like 4,000 people or something outside. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Normally we do like probably around like 1,000 to 2,000 seat venues. Cause I've heard Dweezil talk about this and he said one, one of the reasons why he put the band together is because, you know, he wanted people to be exposed to Frank's music, especially like younger people who didn't know any of the context or the history of it, you know. Um, yeah. So hopefully it's connecting with, you know, new audiences. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's his whole MO, which is awesome. Like to, to bring it to crowds that, that don't, didn't have a chance to, to see it live when yeah. Frank was around. And so because of that, we play a lot of college campuses. Like we do a lot of college, oh, sure. yep. college area shows, which is great, you know, trying to bring it to a younger audience and get younger people into it. It's, and, you know, it's like kind of what I mentioned earlier with me seeing the Beatles stuff. That's when I got it. Yep. And so a, a lot of people say that about us. Like a lot of people come up and we're like, you know, I never saw Frank and I, I'd heard about you guys, but now I see it. I'm like, Oh shit. You know, now yep. now yep. I'm all in on, on Frank's stuff. So <laughs> now you're one of the guys, part of the legacy, <laughs> which is insane. <laughs> to even, to, it's so, the greatest thing in the world. It's totally it's dream gig for me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it's dream gig for me. And, and uh, like I said earlier, like I feel like I've been prepping for it, you know, since day one, like since I bought that live in New York record. Yeah, yeah. You know, when I was around thirteen or so, and uh, I'm just I'm very lucky, and it's an honor to play with these guys. It's an honor to play with Dweezil and to keep his dad's music alive. And yeah, yeah. And it's 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 very cool. And yeah, it's it's. And I knew when I got in the band that uh, I mean it's. Like trying to cut. There's a lot of hard music. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, and, and fans, myself included, I probably saw the band 15 times or so before I got in the band. Right. 
And, you know, I would always be like, you know, oh, man, uh, you know, how is he going to pull this off? How is he going to pull <laughs> off this Vinny stuff? You know, and Joe was unbelievable. And so it was, it was so coming in and filling not just the role of trying to cop Vinny, Chad, Terry, yep. Jimmy, Carl Black, and all these guys, Chester Thompson, Ralph Humphrey, and all these cats, but then also replacing Joe, you know, it was, it was, it was definitely a, a big task, yeah. but uh, I was just like, hey, here we go. This well, you, you look like you're meant... kicking ass to me from the video I saw. It was amazing. Well, thanks, Paul. <laughs> you're you're awesome. I appreciate you're I appreciate awesome, it. <laughs> well, I I'll let you go because I'm sure you probably have to eat or sound check or something. <laughs> we we have we have sound check sometime soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, I, but it but it's been great. It's super interesting, and I hope we uh, actually see each other in person at some point. I'll be out in LA uh, at the end of this month, but you might be in Europe. We'll see. That would be great. Yeah, when are you going to be there? When, when uh, we have a show on July twenty fourth, I think. So, wait, we get back the twenty third. Oh, think. okay. I'll where where are you guys? Yeah, where are you playing? We're playing the Viper Room. Uh, Scroat's going to play. Uh, Josh, oh, Josh awesome. Lopez. Yeah, Paul Chesney. It's going to be fun. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. And how how does, is your foot? I mean, I know it's broken. Is it okay? Are you doing okay with it? I, I'm in a boot, so I, I'm hobbling Shit. around. I might have to have the Dave girl thrown. Yeah, that's, <laughs> well, you know what? Actually, I know, I know where that is. Oh, really? I thought so, Axel Rose had it. <laughs> he did. He and he got it, it. It was at Mates where we rehearsed. Oh yeah, in yeah, the, in okay. The, in the in the in the valley. So yeah. Oh, good. Well, I'll just have him deliver it. Yeah, <laughs> they were they were telling me that when uh, when Axel like apparently Axel's people called him and they were they were like like hey you know you know Dave's throne yeah we need that <laughs> so they had to, like, right. he was telling me this story about having to, about driving it over to wherever Axel was rehearsing so he oh, could use great. it which is, yeah, which is yeah. funny but I'm sorry I'm missing the show tonight but uh, you guys no have, worries have a good show and good tour. Thank you very much. We'll be back here actually in the fall. Oh, great. Okay. Uh, we're, we're playing the, the Beacon on oh, October awesome. 30th, that the night I before will, Halloween. That I will come to. And uh, there's some other one around here. I'll have to look. I'll send, I'll send you the dates. They're, they haven't even been announced yet, but uh, okay. yeah, the, the Beacon show will be fun. Oh, uh, that would be great. I love That's playing nice, there. Nice place. Yeah. Dude, thank you so much for asking me to do this. Thank I really, you, man. I really appreciate I'll it. I'll let you know when it's up. That sounds awesome. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Take buddy. care of your foot. All right. Yeah, have a good show. Later. Thanks, Paul. <laughs> Take care. And there you have it, an undisclosed tour date for uh, Zappa Plays Zappa. So get your tickets early. That was fun. That was a long one, but I could have talked to Ryan forever. We you know, had a lot to catch up on just because I hadn't seen him in so long. And, well, I still didn't see him because we did it by FaceTime. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, I hope you enjoyed that. Um, uh, yeah, heading out to California for a little vacation. We're supposed to go hiking, but that might not happen with the uh, the broken foot. I probably will not need the Dave Grohl Axl Rose throne. I am actually able to stand uh, for the entirety of our shows, so uh, in case you were worried about that. But anyway, have a good one, and we'll see you next time on Make It Big. Yeah, you took it cool.